Well, good morning. My name is Matt Kerber. I'm a pastor at City Reformed. As we've already mentioned, this is not the building we normally meet in. If you wandered in and found your way here today, we will not be here next week. Uh, for 50 of the 52 weeks each year, we meet in the 20th Century Club, just about a block and a half from here. And it is a, uh, a venue that's a little more conducive to what we do. Uh, we don't have to be seated quite so long. If you're in the back, I, I can't see you with my glasses on. I have to pull them down, and then I can barely see you. Uh, but uh, we are thankful to be here today. I do want to remind you, uh, we don't have children's church today. We're limited by our space, but we do have nursery. If you have children uh, between infancy up through three years old and they would like to be in nursery, um, you could take them there now. The nursery workers would be eager uh, to meet with your kids during the sermon. Um, we've also been talking some about uh, Pentecost Sunday. That is a, uh, a holiday that's been uh, celebrated in the church now through the ages. Uh, part of what are viewed as the three uh, sort of evangelical holidays uh, that uh, churches celebrate. Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost. In America, Pentecost sort of fell off the map. Um, and uh, we've been seeking to uh, revive interest in that a little bit. Historically, Pentecost referred to a uh, celebration of the Jewish, a Jewish festival, 50 days, Penta being 50, 50 days uh, after Passover. And in the Bible, it's a, 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 it's a story of great importance because it was at the Feast of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit was poured out in the church. The Holy Spirit began to empower God's people for mission. The church that was at that time very small, a small gathering of Jewish believers huddled together in Jerusalem would begin to move outward with power, with conviction across every language and cultural barrier in the ancient world so that Jesus would be proclaimed among all peoples. Uh, on Pentecost, God gave a special gift to the, uh, to the church on that day. It was the supernatural ability to speak in other languages. Uh, no one here is claiming that ability today, but you've already heard that by God's grace and his providence, many of our people do speak other languages. And as we heard that in song and in prayer, we're reminded that God is doing something much bigger than in our own language, in our own country, in our own people group. The word, uh, and so for us, Pentecost Sunday has been a day to remember missions and to celebrate the work of missionaries throughout the world. Uh, the word missions simply refers to ministry that happens across cultural and language barriers. We're all called to be doing ministry all the time as followers of Jesus. But sometimes if we're going to be crossing over to engage with people who are different than us, it takes a special amount of work. If you don't know language, you have to learn a new language sometimes to do missions. You have to learn what people do in a different culture and how they interact if you're going to effectively share the ministry of Jesus. We recognize that in some ways, uh, the very process of missions or the word missionary can seem like, to many people in our culture, even a, a bad word. They think of things like cultural imperialism. They think of ways that at times, and we admit this, missions has been done poorly. But the argument I'd like to make to you today is that ministry in and of itself is challenging. Life is challenging. And that a healthy and active engagement with missions in biblical terms is actually a great benefit and blessing for us. Far from being the problem, a church that engages in missions sees God's work in their midst. And we see a corrective to many of our own problems. 
We're going to do that today not by looking at a classic missions passage. You might know that such things exist. But we're going to look at a passage about church dysfunction. Coming from a letter to one of the most dysfunctional churches in the New Testament. Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. This is uh, two sections. First, 1 Corinthians 1, 11 and 13. And then chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. For it has been reported to me, writes the Apostle Paul, by Chloe's people... That there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I did not choose this passage today because I think this sort of infighting is particularly common in our congregation. But I chose it because it was a situation of ministry dysfunction. And Paul says to the Corinthian church, what you need is a bigger vision of ministry. It's possible to have something good that can have a negative consequence or a negative side effect. That can happen with all sorts of things and it can happen with ministry. It was clearly happening in Corinth. God had given not one, not two, but three gifted leaders to the early church that had an impact in Corinth. Paul was there, one of the great missionaries of the early church. And then another leader had come in later, Apollos, who was, we are told in the Bible, a really gifted communicator. He could speak. And people were blessed by his ministry. And it also would seem that even the ministry of Peter was having an influence here. There was an abundance of great leaders, but this gift had an unintended consequence for the people in Corinth. They had begun to gravitate towards particular leaders, they had fallen prey to a vision of, of life in which their divisions were defined by who they were most in allegiance to. And so we hear the words of Paul speaking back to them. What he heard from Chloe's people, the letter Corinth, the first Corinthians letter, is one in which Paul addresses several topics that had been reported to him, some in a letter, some in person. And he says, This is what I'm hearing about. You've been divided into these factions. Some of you say, I follow Paul. Others say, Cephas. Some of you even say, I follow Christ. Now, clearly, following Christ would be a good thing. But for these people, it had become a label for their own little group, dividing them from others. Is Christ divided, Paul says? We all should be 
followers of Jesus. But when that label becomes a basis for unhealthy division, Paul's concerned. Sometimes even good things can have unintended consequences. We know this simply from watching television. There are many times we're watching TV and you might see an advertisement for a very good, presumably helpful uh, medical product. And as the happy pictures of people blessed by the product begin to move forward with soothing music in the background, the commercial begins to warn you of all the potential side effects. <laughs> and if you're like me, you sometimes think, you know, that, that seems like maybe the, the cure is worse than the disease. One of the most uh, notable examples for this was a product called Chantex. Chantex helps people stop smoking. I know that because they told me early in the commercial. And everyone who was not smoking is smiling. We know that's a good thing to do. But Chantex, as you may know, could have negative side effects. Some people, we're told, have had changes in behavior, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, even suicidal thoughts or actions while taking or after stopping taking Chantex. If you notice any of these signs, tell your doctor immediately. Talk to your doctor about any history of depression or other medical health problems that can get worse while taking Chantex. You may think that's the end. It's not. The commercial continues. Some people have had allergic skin reactions to Chantex, some of which can be life-threatening. If you notice swelling of face, mouth, throat, or rash, stop taking Chantex and see your doctor right away. Patients also reported trouble sleeping and vivid or unusual or strange dreams. Until you know how Chantex may affect you immediately, use caution when driving or operating machinery. And I have no doubt this medicine has helped people, but you can't help but wonder as you listen to the list of possible side effects, is it worth it? Right? For the right people with Dr. Care, I'm sure it is. Side effects can be real. In Corinth, even real, real ministry and blessings of real ministers caused difficult side effects. The solution Paul gives in this passage, however, is not that we do less ministry or have a smaller vision or, or move back or have a reduced picture of the Christian life. What Paul offers is a bigger vision, a bigger vision of ministry where God is at work, moving us and growing us out of infancy, out of fleshly or merely human ways of doing things, but a truer, richer, vital spirituality as we grow up into maturity. There are three side effects we see and consider as we look at the passage, and, and we'll think in all of them how a bigger vision, in particular on this Pentecost Sunday, how a missions-inspired vision of the Christian life helps us to deal appropriately with these potential side effects. The first is the most obvious in the passage, and that is factionalism. What was happening in Corinth, the people had aligned themselves with their own group. They had found their favorite teaching, and they were, even in one church, battling back and forth as their different groups. They were, in verse 111, uh, uh, quarreling with each other. They were a church divided. They were defined by jealousy and strife, as we see in chapter 3, verse 1. And Paul says this is not how they're meant to be. God's Spirit who had been working among them, not necessarily in all of the same ways it was on that first Pentecost, but God's Spirit was present with them. God's Spirit is present with us and in us. And the result of that is we should be growing up. 
growing up to maturity, to patience, to love. A true experience of the gospel of grace makes us patient with other people. We stand on truth and we stand for truth, but we don't allow smaller things to become divisions among us. Paul says in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he said, I had hoped to be able to speak to you differently. I had hoped you were more mature, but you're still acting like infants. And I know it because you've just devolved into these little petty factions among you. Using even the words of your teachers as a source of division. Paul sees this, maybe it's a product of, uh, of Christian ministry gone wrong. But he sees it fundamentally as a product of the human heart. Are you not, he says in verse 4, being merely human? That's what you're doing. This is what humans do, isn't it? We find ways to divide. Oh, we wish it was different in, in the church. We wish we could grow past it. Sometimes we do. And as I said, I'm thankful for our congregation. But the factionalism that is present in this, uh, in this setting can be just as present in our lives as well. There are many sermons that have been preached down through the ages about how uh, Christian ministries have become divided and factionalized. It's certainly true. But my experience today is that we experience factionalism not primarily in our church, but in our other cultural settings. We live in a factionalized and divided culture. And the challenge for us as Christians is to not be merely human, but to find ways where our Christian fellowship can transcend those other categories. We're increasingly told all the ways our demographics should separate us. Our divisions into red state and blue state, into multiple generations, our urban and rural and class and income divisions, the differences of men and women, we are increasingly told must define us and separate us. But the gospel tells us we have more in common than we have divided between us. As our country increasingly divides along uh, demographic and political lines, the Christian church is meant to be a witness of something different as we find a greater unity in Christ. And I, I believe that missions, a healthy, robust, biblical view of Christian ministry across our na national and language and cultural barriers can be one of the best ways that we do it. It's in missions we get a picture of God doing something beyond our own immediate setting. Surely in history, missionaries themselves have fallen into factionalism, dividing and fighting among denominations. But that's not, my, not been my experience as I've gone outward into the world. I see a great cooperation and a partnership. And what I've experienced is I've had the privilege on numerous occasions to do ministry and engage in ministry in other countries and other cultures is that God takes my heart and he shakes it and he reminds me of a bigger story. He reminds me that my experience now, my own demographic and my own place and my own city is only a small piece of the bigger story that he's telling the Bible is a story of God bringing a, a message of grace and salvation to every people and every tribe and every tongue and every language. It's bigger than America. It's bigger than Pittsburgh. It's bigger than our congregation. As we engage across barriers and boundaries, what we begin to see is a way that God is doing something that transcends our own divisions. Healthy and robust missions is not the problem, but it's, in God's grace, part of the answer. 
The second problem we see, the second side effect of ministry in the passage is a little more subtle. It's not named directly, but it's implied, and certainly the scriptures as a whole warn us of this problem. That problem is quite simply pride. Paul asks a haunting question in verse 5. What is Apollos, he says. What is Paul, he says of himself. He's speaking to people who form these factions around these leaders and they've, they've formed their divisions and their identity has been wrapped up in receiving a certain teaching. And they've lost sight of the bigger picture of what God is doing. And Paul says, at the end of the day, do you know who we really are? There's a, a prideful exaltation of leaders. Paul gives the corrective answers. Who are we? We are mere tools. Verse 5, we are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Corinth was a wealthy and prosperous city. Pride was in the air of all that they did. It was strategically located between two of the most important shipping routes in, in the ancient world. If there was a people that could have thought high of themselves, it would have been the Corinthians. And many scholars tell us that when they divided into these factions, pridefully lifting up their own leaders, they were doing what everyone else in Corinth was doing. Merely human. They were pridefully lifting up their leaders. But Paul gives us an answer. The answer to this problem is not less ministry. It's not less teaching. After all, the Apostle Paul is himself writing the letter and writing corrective teaching. It's not that we have a smaller vision of the Christian life, but a bigger vision. What's happening in ministry, Paul asked? Well, God is working and he's using people to do it. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul had been used in the beginning of the church in Corinth. He says later he, he had a foundation that he laid, the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul, Apollos came later after Paul had moved on to another ministry and another service. And Apollos was building. And this experience that was meant to be a blessing was beginning to be the cause of division. Paul says, do you not understand what we really are at the end of the day? We are mere tools of God. It is God who gives the growth. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Friends, we live in one of the most prosperous and powerful countries in the history of the world. I think I can change it and say we live in the most powerful and prosperous country in the history of the world. As American Christians, there is a, a burden and a challenge that comes with that. We can begin to, whether intentionally or unintentionally, begin to think that God's story is really about us. No doubt God has used the American church powerfully in history and continues to do it today. But when we think about what the church is, it is far bigger than our country and our history. A healthy perspective of global missions and God's work through the world is like the blow of an axe to the root of the tree of pride in our lives. It attacks it in, in a place and renders uh, uh, us into a position of humility. Who are we? We are God's field. We are God's building. God, yes, has used us, has used our church, has used leaders in our church, both here and abroad. But at the end of the day, it is God who gives the growth. We are mere tools.
the danger that we face as we engage in ministry, and even sometimes the danger that comes as we start to do ministry across cultural barriers is begin to think it's about us. I've given each of you today a uh, little booklet, a magazine from our denominational missions agency. The front cover of the magazine lists three things that people are doing as they move outwards in missions. Medical missions, theological education, disaster response. All of these things are good and important. All of these things resonate deeply with what our congregation has been engaged with. But unless we remember who we are and what is most central, they can be the place for us of pride. The temptation to think of ourselves as Americans as being culturally superior to others is a danger that is more toxic and insidious than we may realize. The solution offered through MTW is the biblical solution. We recognize a role and an activity, but at the center of it all is church planting and the development of churches in other countries. The reason this is so important is when churches are planted in other countries, they're no longer dependent on Americans. They're no longer dependent on Europeans. Today, we see an expansion of gospel ministry throughout the world that would have been unprecedented 100 years ago. The church that had been for so long associated with Western culture is growing most rapidly and actively in Eastern and Southern parts of the world. The, the, the most advanced, technologically advanced countries in the world are often experiencing a diminishing uh, effect of Christianity in their midst. And yet God is pleased to grow His church among parts of the world that have uh, uh, often experienced difficulty and hardship and even poverty in other terms. Friends, pride for us can be a, uh, a difficult byproduct of ministry. And healthy, a biblical perspective of world missions reminds us at the end of the day, we are merely tools to be used. And God is pleased to grow His church where He will. It may very well be that God's purposes for America is that we continue to move to the background of world Christianity as our brothers and sisters in Africa and Asia and South America begin to hold forward a torch of faithful gospel witness. And this, friends, brings appropriate humility. We're really not the center of all things. There's a third example, however, in this passage, and it's the opposite. Again, it's not explicitly lit, uh, uh, mentioned here, but very easily we could fall into this trap as we think of ministry. We could find ourselves saying, you know, if God's working without us and He's working in other places, then maybe we don't really need to do anything. We know the gospel is a message of grace. It's a message that tells us Jesus did in His life and in His death everything we need for salvation. One of the unnecessary, unfortunate consequences of that is people sometimes conclude that therefore God doesn't expect me to do anything. God's not calling me to do anything. The first danger or byproduct of mission uh, of ministry I talked about is uh, uh, factionalism. If the second is pride, the third would be apathy. For honest, we can recognize that sometimes we use very pious language as a screen for our apathy. 
We know there have been ways in the past where Christians have engaged in missions in ways that are imperialistic, culturally insensitive, inappropriately recognizing the gifts of other cultures and places. But we wrongly conclude from that that if we say we have no place or no role. It can sound very pious to say, well, God's going to do his work. Maybe we should just sit back and let him do it. The church is growing and God has called us to have a role in it. We see in the passage a helpful corrective to a unbiblical apathy in ministry. We see that not only does Paul tell us we are nothing, but he also tells us that God does use us. God uses us. He has a role for us as people and as congregations. We are God's field and God's building, but as we engage in ministry, we can even say of ourselves that we are God's fellow workers, working together with God for His purposes. You see, the depth of God's riches and grace in the gospel is not only He saves us in spite of anything we've done, but that he gives us meaningful work and ministry to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul goes to great lengths to remind us that we are saved by grace, not by work, so no one could boast. And then he immediately afterwards reminds us that God has prepared good works for us. From the foundation of the world, he's recreated us in Christ Jesus for good works. So to reform, we have a role to play in God's story. Not as cultural imperialists, not as people who, who think wrongly think the church centers on us, but as people who've been gifted, as people who've been blessed, as people who've been called to engage in the worldwide story of missions and ministry. God does give growth through our work. The labors we engage in are not in vain. The front of your MTW booklet shows all of the things, really, that we are doing as a congregation. It's one of the reasons this booklet stood out to me so much when it came in the mail. Next winter, we'll be doing a missions trip as a church to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, working in partnership with a local church and local ministries to provide health care. We have resources to give, and they're needed. God will work through us, but we're only a part of a bigger story. Theological education is something our church has worked with in many, many ways, both at home and abroad. We've partnered with the Theological College of Zimbabwe. Bill and Gail Johnson, who went out from us, have been leading a ministry between France and Senegal, equipping pastors with biblical resources to help growing churches in difficult parts of the world. And finally, disaster response is something my family engaged in personally as we responded to the refugee crisis three years ago in Athens, trying to work with local congregations, trying to help people in times of desperate need. All of these things are things that we're doing, but the end goal of all of them is to see churches that grow up in maturity in other places, where men and women who speak other languages and live in other countries will grow to a spiritual maturity, no longer looking to us as leaders, but beginning to embrace a role of leadership themselves. Last fall, Joram Mugare 
from the Theological College of Zimbabwe visited our church. He wasn't here on a Sunday. You couldn't hear from him as a, as a congregation, but many of us met with him and talked with him. He made an appeal to our congregation. We've partnered for years with the Theological College of Zimbabwe. He gave both a, an appeal uh, and a call. Joram, in his presentation, talked about the rapid growth of the church in southern Africa. He talked honestly about the decline of the church in North America. And he said, the reason we want you to support us is because if these trends continue in 50 years, it'll be African churches sending missionaries to America. We are the hope for your grandchildren. But Joram said more than that. He said, we recognize God is doing something among us. It's powerful and it's important, but you still have resources we need. You have, as a Western church in an English-speaking country, you have benefited from centuries of reflection on the Christian scriptures. This is a gift that you can give us. We, we are blessed when you come and help in our theological education. You have gifts we need. You have, he said, as an American church, an abundance of resources. We need your help. We are growing. We are maturing. and We are ready to take up the mantle, but we can't do it in honor. We are in partnership with you, and we need your help. Whether it's our response to the many uh, crises that affect and afflict developing countries around the world, or more established and ongoing pursuit of medical missions, there is a role for us to play, friends. We have a gift we don't need to be led astray by a false humility that says we have nothing to offer. But we see it against this bigger context. God is telling a story, a story of redemption that stretches across national barriers, stretched across language barriers. It was, it's a story that will end when God returns through Jesus Christ to set all things new and people of every tribe and tongue and nation are gathered together to worship. That's where the Bible is going. And when that day happens, we will sing praises to the Lord Jesus and we will exalt him as the king over all peoples and all places. We will not lift up ourselves. But in God's grace, he still called us to have a role. We have a gift, a place, a voice. We have a role to play. And when we grasp hold of that role, God will also work in us to challenge our pride, to challenge our factionalism, and to stir us from apathy into action and ministry. Let's close in prayer.